Yeah, when you look at awake hours, you know, and you combine time spent on phones, on computers, on TVs, it's actually 72% today. If you add that up into, in terms of years of your life, and that adds up to 17 years on average. Hi, and welcome to the June podcast. I'm your host, Enzo, co-founder at June. In this show, I'm talking to the most inspiring product and growth leaders out there. We'll share their tips on how to launch and grow your SaaS. No fuss, no BS. I hope you enjoyed the show. Hello, Kenneth, and welcome to the podcast. How are things? I'm great. How are you? Doing great. Thanks. So excited to have you here. Very excited as well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, today we're going to talk about entrepreneurship, as usual, on this podcast, building products, marketing, how we market them. But we're also talking, going to talk about specific topics where you are uh, an expert at, like mindfulness and art. And I'm really excited to be able to touch on these two things because we have never done it yet here. Awesome. Can't wait. So a few words about yourself. You're the founder and CEO of Opal, which is the number one screen time management app with over a million members globally. Uh, prior to starting Opal, you founding and served as the CEO of an online marketplace called Artlist which was acquired by Artnet in 2017, for which you became the CMO. You also worked as a product marketer manager at Google, and you work on products including Maps, YouTube, and AdWords. And then you also had experience as a general manager at Bird, a global leader in micro, micro mobility. So basically, food scooters, they're mostly known for food scooters in Paris. And your role was to expand the company internationally especially in the French and Parisian markets. And you co-founded Stellar Base, um, which is a software studio and product consultancy. So I assume you really like to help people, other people out, and you've seen a lot of you know, ventures being built, and I'm sure this is going to intrigue a lot of people today. And something which I think is really, really cool about yourself is that, and really sets you apart, is that you wrote multiple times about your love for mm -hmm. art, and for supporting emerging visual artists because you think they're a great source of inspiration. And so um, I'm really keen also to touch on how you think you know, art and maybe tech can be reconciled. Yeah, thanks. I'm really glad to be here. And I have to say, I'm, uh, I'm also a big fan of yours and the content you put out on product management. So really glad to see the impact you've had uh, on the Paris tech scene. Really glad to be here. My pleasure. Uh, so let's crack on. So let's talk a little bit about uh, mindfulness and Opal, your, your current company. So you talk a few times on, you know, about this topic. And I think this topic seems to resonate more and more in the fast paced, you know, digital world we're in. I'd like to know, you know, when you meet someone who is a total beginner, what are kind of the, you know, the early tips you share or how you ground this topic with people usually, you know, and how people can maybe start to think about mindfulness in their daily life if they're just at the very beginning? That's a great question. I mean, um, you know, mindfulness is a, has a spiritual connotation, so that's not really what I'm going to talk about today. It also has a, a pragmatic, uh, you know, one, which is essentially it's about um, focusing your awareness and your attention to the present moment. Uh, and so it can mean standing still, like resting, uh, But it also can mean you know doing activity like work um, with full awareness. So some people call it you know flow states. Uh, so you have this imagine you know you can imagine the painter kind of uh, you know avidly sitting in front of his painting and and uh, in, in full motion, really focusing on what he's doing. Or the chess player that's so focused on what he's doing that 
you know, even if a, if a bomb comes off next door, uh, he won't, he wouldn't budge. I think that so why, you know, digital mindfulness and, and why does it resonate with people today? You know, the thing is today, most people spend like you and I, the majority of our lives staring at a screen. And when you're at a screen, you're usually not very mindful. You're thinking about, you know, what's wrong, what I need to do. You can get sucked into rabbit holes, uh, feeds, incoming messages, notifications quite often. It's a topic that is, uh, that is very important because it's so, it takes up so much of our time that um, if you want to have a life which is balanced, you need to pay attention to how you consume technology and how you spend time on screens. And so, you know, practical tips. I mean, I always start, it's not one size fit all, but there's a few starters. You know, one of them that's uh, hard, but uh, is, a, is a great starter is, you know, no screens in the bedroom. Um, you know, rest is important and productive. And uh, when you're investing in your rest, you're investing in, in yourself. So that's, that's a, a very easy, uh, simple rule that's hard to implement. But also morning routines are very helpful, you know, trying to figure out what can you do in the morning that's not touching your phone. And that's also very challenging because most people have this, uh, you know, that phone as, a, uh, as an alarm clock. And then another easy one, which we promote a lot uh, through the app is work hours, just in this world where we're constantly you know, working remotely on a hybrid way, um, having a set structure in your day where you're going to be intentionally working and not being distracted. And so you can use you know, an app like Opal to enforce these um, restrictions and make sure that you are fully focused on your work while you're supposed to be working. So you're saying maybe the thing that old people bag the most from kind of mindfulness or just like a, a good life balance might be the screen. And this is kind of one of the reasons why you started with the screen, but there is just a lot more like habits in the morning and, and so on and so forth, right? Is it, is it kind of the, the way you think about it, like almost like a pyramid and the tipping point is the screen, but then there's just so many more things to unfold? You know, it's quite extraordinary that we spend you know, all of this time in front of screens. And so I see it as a way, a leverage to have impact on people's lives. It's not just the screens, it's, it's kind of leverage uh, to change habits in, in, a positive, in a positive way. And so, yeah, it starts with figuring out what you do on your, on your phone, but it's also generally developing healthier habits uh, in your relationship with technology that can start in the morning and in the evening at nighttime, for example. What is a good morning practice that uh, people may adopt? It could be very simple. I think, you know, taking small steps. So, you know, not having like a crazy idea of I'm going to run a marathon every morning or I'm going to go and like, uh, you know, uh, do something very ambitious. But just like you're opening the windows, um, making sure the first thing you do isn't touching your phone, whatever replacement you can have is, is helpful. I like personally to just, you know, get up when I can, open the windows, stretch. These are like, you know, 15, 30 seconds that actually like put me in a, in a, in a good starting point to, to start my day uh, before I go and reach out my phone. Um, so yeah, that's just a simple tip. Yeah. It's great. It's crazy that, uh, we've reached a point of humanity where we need to, uh, you know, to stretch, to, um, to kind of like get back 15 or 30 seconds for yourself in the morning, right? Like, yeah, I mean, you know, 75% of adults, that's one data I have, um, you know, sleep with their phone in the U S sleep with their, uh, their phones, um, typically next to their bed or in their bed. A lot of these people actually don't, you know, turn off their phone or, um, put it on the airplane mode. So yeah, it's a, it's a constant connection that we have and it brings, you know, amazing things. I mean, it's, it's, I have a very optimistic view of technology. I think it has incredible upsides, um, but it also needs to be 
managed. And a lot of us haven't learned how to do that. So it's also pretty new. Uh, we have to, to start from zero. And uh, we have just a few years of experience to, to make sure we fit this in our lives in a healthy way. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of like wondering what's the role of the you know the the providers of of you know these devices versus uh, startup founders like you. Like, I, I know I know companies like Apple are, are getting better at this job, but at, at the beginning, you know, they really created this platform where you know a lot of like social media apps were built and created a lot of addictions, which people are more and more aware of. Like, I mean, I, I know this is like getting a bit out of, uh, out of reach now, but what, what do you think is the role of this uh, maybe large corporation in this, in this whole uh, discussion? Yeah, I think it, it wasn't the intention, you know, for um, the creators of the iPhone or, or Android phones to, to create an addictive device. But a lot has to do with, you know, the incentives of these companies. And at the end, that's really what matters. And we're in a space where, you know, the large OS makers or you know phone manufacturers are incentivized to actually make you spend a lot of time and have more and more dependence towards the devices. So it's actually you know they've done a lot of great things and we're super grateful. We're on iPhone. Uh, Oppo is an iOS app. We use an API that was developed by Apple and we're partners. And you know our sole focus is to build a product that helps people focus better. Um, and I think that it's actually very smart for companies like Apple to open up to third-party developers that can be refocused on these use cases because uh, it's hard for for them to do it directly. Yeah, we're going to touch on that about this new API that's open in a in a couple of minutes. I'd like to I'd like to hear maybe before we get into more the you know the entrepreneurship journey and the business topics, was there anything personal that brought you to uh, you know to this uh, to this product to this company you built today? Maybe was was there any turning point where you realized that technology could solve this problem? Yeah, sure. I think there are two moments. I mean, the first one is when I first got started at Google in 2007, and I was sort of very early in my career. Uh, I understood that when you have gigantic amounts of data, you know, as a company, uh, you can probably uh, pretty much outsmart individual behavior. And this was, you know, time before privacy, before people were sort of really conscious of these things. But, you know, we're just able to, with sufficient data, uh, figure out a lot of stuff about people, you know, whether uh, whether a woman is pregnant or not, uh, based on her, you know, Google search queries, for example, or, you know, predict a, a number of um, psychological traits of, of individuals. And so I became quite aware of that power, you know, that you have with data. Uh, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if like people individually could also uh, have that power using using their own data. So that's something that's been with me for a long time. But personally, yeah, I mean, I've been a founder, as you mentioned. I started the first company. Um, you know, the journey is uh, is a grind. I was overwhelmed, overstimulated. You know, sometimes I reached points where my battery, my personal battery, was critically low. And, you know, when, um, when these moments happen, uh, you know, you, you realize that you are unable to make good decisions, that uh, you, you make decisions you regret. And so I end up, you know, figuring out, like, what is, what is it that I can do to find better balance? Um, and that has been a long journey uh, to figure out, in particular, like, that screen time was a big part of it. And how I could actually change my screen time habits would, would lead to a healthier uh, uh, outcome for myself and also just better decisions that I would make as a, as a professional. And so that's, that's a bit the journey that lasted for 
you know, over uh, 12, 13 years that led me to consider Opal. And, and, you know, really, frankly, the way I look at the world today, I think screen time is the new diet in the sense that, you know, today, most people are aware of what they eat, that some things are good for them, some things are bad for them. It's not all the same, like some things are good for some people, but bad for others. And, um, and that, it, you know, what you eat is directly tied to your sense of well-being, to your health, and also to your productivity. Um, I think that this is Screen time is this new diet in the sense that in the next few years, people will become just as aware of what they eat as they are aware of uh, what, what they consume on, on screens. You know, I mentioned earlier, three quarters basically of your life spent on screens. This is actually going to go just in one direction. We'll spend more and more time. We'll be more and more intertwined with technology. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, what is good? What is bad? What kind of rules I want to put for, my, for, my, for myself? What is a good, you know, diet, essentially? Um, and so, yeah, this is really how I see the world today. And the product that I built is, is an outcome of, of, uh, of this vision of the world. You said three quarter of your life, of our lives, is spent on the device? Yeah, when you look at awake hours, you know, and you combine um, spend time spent on phones, on computers, on TVs, the average uh, American adult is actually 72% today. Uh, of an average adult, and that's an average. So, you know, if you look at people working in tech or, you know, let's say students, for example, this, this is likely to be much higher. Um, we spend very few times not looking at a screen today. And I've never seen this number. It's scary. Yeah. Another interesting number is if you add up the time that you spend, you know, awake, that you spend just in front of a smartphone. <clears throat> um, so it's, you know, over four hours a day uh, today. And, and you add that, it, basically, there's all, you know, if you look at like awake hours, um, you spend take eight hours to sleep, basically, uh, or times you should be sleeping. So that leaves 16 hours. So, uh, you know, it's a very high percentage of your day, four out of 16, right, that you're going to spend uh, in front of a smartphone. Um, and if you add that up into in terms of years of your life, and that adds up to 17 years on average, um, staring at a phone. So that's, that's just one interesting uh, data point also to put things into perspective. And that often like triggers people to say, okay, actually, I should be paying attention to this. You know, I spend all this time and effort figuring out how to be more productive or, you know, use the right tools with you on the product side, you know, like figuring out you know, the right dashboards, but maybe not enough time figuring out how I actually spend my, you know, 17 years of my life. Yeah, I mean... This one is, I mean, that's that's so correct. I think the one of the things we're fighting is for the the people to get some time back from their anal analysis. But the, the the problem we've seen is that um, since we we work with a lot of founders and product managers, if they save time somewhere, they're gonna spend it elsewhere. So you have this kind of forever expendable resource time, you know. And and if people like save time from their phone, I hope they don't, uh, you know, waste it on uh, video games or you know whatever they're. Uh, device. Yeah, it's, you know, it's 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 a challenge. I, I don't think necessarily it's uh, just saving time is is a goal. It is great, but it's more making sure that you're intentional about the time you you use your devices and generally in what you do in life. What I'm trying to avoid is that feeling you get, you know, after you've scrolled for a long time and you regret and you're like, this is not what I should be doing. I want to do something else, and that's really like what what we're after. But you know, if you're want to spend time, you know, and you're happy about like seeing a great show, you know, connecting with your friends on social media, all these things can be really net positive. It's all about like how you actually uh, are intentional or not about, about the time. Completely, uh, completely agree on this one. Uh, it takes, takes a lot. It's, it's harder to do than to say, you know, what's the responsibilities of companies in this, in this schema, right? Cause uh, Opal is a B2C 
app, right? You're going directly to the pocket of the consumer uh, on iPhone. You know, companies can be, could be promoting this kind of life balance, mindfulness, or however we call that, digital detox. Opal could be a B2B product, right? Or could be a B2B2C product. What's your, um, wh- why wasn't that the case for you? Do you think this yeah, is- Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll stop, you know, to explain just a little bit like what, how Opal solves this problem because we, we've talked about it a bit, but, you know, what we, so we're, first of all, a screen time management app, you know, on iOS and the mission of the company is to help people focus better. And, you know, specifically how we help people focus better. Well, there, there's mainly two parts. You know, first, we basically allow you to, to measure uh, your focus, not just measure the amount of time, as we we're saying, you know, that you spend on your devices, but also the quality of that time and how focused you've been during that time. Um, and second, we also help you, you know, manage and structure your days. Um, for example, like your work hours, time off uh, with app restrictions and other rules that will actually help you stay focused on what you want to do um, and all wrapped into you know, UI that makes the experience rewarding. So that's really what Opal is uh, today. And you're right, it's, it's mostly it's a consumer product. You download it on the App Store today and we have a subscription business model. We see people using it uh, you know, as a daily companion, uh, mostly sits in the background. For example, during your work hours, you'll say, I, don't, I want to avoid going on social media or news so I can have a less interrupted day and, and maybe even shorten my work day and be more efficient. Or in the mornings, as we're mentioning with routines or nighttime uh, to avoid other distractions. You know, For example, be focused while I'm at the gym or uh, at the dinner table with my family so I'm not uh, uh, checking other things. And um, yeah, you know, one of the ways we measure the impact we have is definitely time saved. So we've We've saved over 50 million hours of screen time from less screen time uh, of our customers, but also you know people are feeling more productive and feeling better, uh, you know, thanks to the app. And, and so really, it starts with this: it is a consumer-first application that people decide to intentionally put on their phone to change the way they uh, they, they interact with technology. But you, I think companies do have a big role to play. I think it will come slightly later, um, but you know, the more we can prove the impact we're having on people's uh, sense of well-being and people's sense of productivity, the more we believe that companies will be uh, willing to invest in in our solution um, to offer to their employees. We've seen some of it happen uh, opportunistically right now, and I think it will become a much bigger part of the, our product and our company journey uh, in, uh, in, in a following phase in the coming uh, two to three years. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're starting with the, the end user proving, uh, proving the value and then uh, going upstream uh, maybe to other uh, distribution channels like companies or whatever, right? Absolutely. Companies, you know, colleges, potentially insurance companies. I think the more we can prove yeah, the outcome on, on, uh, on the well-being side and on the productivity side, and we're planning to invest on that as well, the easier it'll be for organizations, uh, big and small, to to want to invest in this space. And I'm you know, definitely convinced in our customers, and you mentioned you know, a million people today um, are, are interested and, and convinced in, in, in the value proposition, but I think it takes a little bit more time you know, to kind of establish that as a truth. Meditation is interesting. It, it took you know, 10 years basically from the beginning of adoption of apps like Calm and Headspace to companies willing to pay for it. Um, and so I think, um, I think a similar journey is, is happening in the, in, in, in screen time. So I'd love to dive into, into, uh, the things that are taking time to change and this kind of like hard to move things in general. So being a founder is not, is not an easy task far from that, uh, lots of ups and downs. 
I'd love to hear with with maybe your latest uh, venture with uh, with with Opel, if there was any major learning that you you got from it that you know didn't occur before, um, and also then I would love to hear what what is the what what do you think is especially hard about building this you know this company? Maybe the market is not there yet. Maybe it seems like it's your first mass market consumer app. I'm sure it's very hard to build such a product. Could you share with us a little bit? We're blessed in the sense that I think we're building in the markets where there's a lot of awareness of the problem. Um, so most people today, you know, that you would go and talk to, if you were to say, you know, are you satisfied with how you use your phone, for example, you know, a lot of people, most people would say would say no. Um, so there's a lot of awareness on the problem. The solution, though, pioneered by, by Apple, frankly, that's launched screen time, it basically educated people on the problem. Everybody's aware of it, but it doesn't really work for most people. Um, and so we're introducing a different kind of solution, and that takes time for people to understand it and for people to really use it. And so that's, I guess, one of the challenges uh, of this market, but it's working really well uh, currently, and it's getting easier and easier as time, um, as time goes by. Um, as, a, as a product, you know, as a, as a founder in general, I think I, I, I face the same issues as most founders do. You know, what do you focus on? Uh, sometimes it's very difficult. How do you maintain your energy levels? I think it's also really connected. I, I became a father in the product journey as well and in the startup journey. So how to manage, you know, sort of the personal family life and, and, and professional ambition and, and, and life. Those are all topics that I think a lot of founders deal with. And it, I find it super interesting that actually I'm working on something which is building a solution as well for me, you know, personally. Um, I have to raise the bar consistently on like how I use my time, um, how I use my energy. And it's never perfect. I think one thing that is very clear, you know, is you always fail, you know, it always happens. Like you will always get to a point where I like to think, you know, critically low battery level, right? Like the point where you have no more energy, where you, you outstretch yourself, you have too many priorities. And that's the point where you make bad decisions. That's the point where you make mistakes. So these moments happen. I think the goal is not to say like, I'm not going to have them at all anymore, but more like, how do you how does it become less frequent? And I think there's two things you can do. First, you can you can learn to be mindful and flag it before they come up. You can you know rest uh, and 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 be more mindful about like okay, this is the moment where I need to rest. Otherwise, I'm going to go in that red zone, right? Uh, which is going to take longer to actually fix. Um, and the second is you can prevent it, right? And so Opal is really in that prevention side, um, developing healthier habits, getting feedback. Figuring out like you know what is draining my battery, what is what is bringing me more energy. I got a lot better actually at that, like with experience, I think, uh, and certainly not perfect at all. But this is something that I made a lot of progress on. Yeah, I guess there could be a worse product to dog food <laughs> than yeah, exactly than, than a product that uh, you know is meant to make you make you happy. Um, I always think about my friends at uh, Uber that have to dog food uh, Uber eats and uh, eat uh, uh, kind of greasy food every day. Uh, Good, good in the beginning, but after some time, uh, you get, uh, you know, I'm not sure it's very healthy for you. No, definitely. Like we're we're very lucky in that sense, and it's also like you know DNA of everybody in the team uses the product, and uh, it's a consistent strive to make it better. Was there out of all the red zones you mentioned, you mentioned, was there any very hard moment, hardship you? you overcame uh, that you, you would be willing to share with us? Yeah, in my previous company, uh, I, I can think of, you know, we, we basically went through the journey of receiving a sort of life-changing term sheet for an acquisition of my previous company, you know, negotiating for six months 
a contract of like 77 pages, if I remember correctly, signing the contract. And on the day uh, that the wire was supposed to come in to close the deal, the wire not coming. Um, and then the deal falling through for step three, kind of outside of our control. Yeah, that was a low point because, you know, destroyed the company, destroyed destroyed the employee uh, morale and like kind of founders, uh, my, my, my morale as well. And uh, yeah, it was very hard to get back up from it. And I think that one thing that I learned that process, apart from like smaller things, tactical things of like, how do you actually, how does MA work and how do you, how do you um, approach this? But it's also, you know, focusing more on um, longer term relationships. And because um, one thing that came out of this is, you know, I'm still really close friends with uh, my co-founder and, and uh, you know, invested in his two companies now and, uh, and kept a lot of great relationships throughout that process. And we were able to, uh, to find a positive exit as well after that, because, you know, I decided, okay, like I want to create long-term relationships with these people. And, uh, and, and that's really helpful to kind of give perspective and, uh, and go through the hard times. Thanks for sharing. And, uh, uh your former co-founder, I think, is that, is it Maxim or some, someone? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Maxime yeah. who founded Jor, you got acquired by Alan, starting something new now. Yeah. Yeah. He's been, I heard he's been promoting June. Uh, he's been super kind and pro promoting us at the uh, Alan mind. So Never met awesome. him. Met, never met him, but uh, heard, heard heard great things about him. Might be a great uh, future future guest for uh, for your podcast when he launches a new product. Oh yeah, yeah. I heard great things about him. I'd like to talk uh, a bit about the timing. So, in uh, so we, you just touched on timing. Uh, funny enough, you you just mentioned that you had this deal coming through which collapsed. With Opal, it's all about timing, right? Like this market being educated and Apple promoting that, of course, and people realizing, you know, uh, the, the importance of spending time on their device. Uh, recently, you were GM at Bird. And recently, I think 19 days ago, the food scooter were removed from Paris. And so obviously it was a good time for you to be GM at that time there. Uh, it's harder to be a GM, in, at least in Paris, for Bird right now. I'm not sure if they're even there. There are other other companies. Timing is really important. I, I love to hear how you think about it. Do you think it's important to be ahead of the wave? Do you think you need to be when the wave hits? What's your experience there? No, if I may, I mean, I think for Bird, it wasn't about timing. I'm happy to talk about timing, but I think for Bird, it's it's a bit of a different problem here. Like to me, Bird is uh, is is the story of a of a good player that played the wrong game. Okay. Uh, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, it's like when you have a great basketball player that's trying to compete in a rugby match. Um, so in the sense that people thought that Bird was a software and hardware business. And, you know, I think people who started the business as well as people who worked in it, including myself. But actually, we found out that Bird was a, a private public partnership business. So closer to a, you know, GC Doco uh, than an Apple, in my opinion, personally. Um and so that's something that's very hard to overcome when like the culture and the inception of the business is sort of sort of in the wrong market, frankly. Uh, but there were lots of great players there and, and amazing people uh, that I met. But that's I think that was initially that was really the issue. It wasn't so much of a, of a timing issue, more a question of uh, figuring out the right market that you're in. And then you know building the right the right culture and 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 the right team to go after that market. The story of Opal is really interesting. Like we got started in 2020, 
there was no API uh, back then. So what this means is we actually got started with a very hacky VPN initially that uh, we found a way to essentially analyze through a VPN the connectivity of your device and then deduce which apps you're using and how long um, and then also be able to block your connectivity of specific apps. That worked for a while, sort of. It was a good proof of concept, sort of MVP, um, and you know we got some traction from it. For two years and a half, that was the technology, and it wasn't very reliable, and it wasn't mass market. Like Very few people actually want a VPN that kind of does those things. Um, sometimes it breaks. It's not great. And then uh, late last year, we got access to an API. Um, you know, we also sp spent a lot of time talking to Apple, and as much as we could, you know, request specifics on and also show use case for the API. And we were lucky to be, you know, the first to be able to use this API and, and put it to market in uh, with iOS 16 last year. And definitely, that was the right timing. Um, would I have done things differently? No, because I think that uh, you know you make a bet. And you, it's to me, it's you, you have, you know, I think as a founder, I decided that this was a major topic that uh, people will become more and more mindful of their screen time, that this will become bigger and bigger, and that um, I'm sort of willing to stay the course. And so for two years and a half, it was, you know, so very hard uh, to build the product because the tech wasn't there. And, you know, in the last year, it's become a lot easier, and we've got you know phenomenal growth. But um, yeah, you make a bet and you and you stick to it. And in that case, I guess I'm trying to understand exactly what 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 that has API has changed for us. But for you, sorry, but uh, basically, um, it was basically Apple making a clear commitment that they would want startups like yours to grow and expand and be able to build, right? So yeah, I think the three things. I mean, a part of radiation, sorry, right? There is that. Um, there's just basically reliability. You know, it just works much, much better. Uh, we have access to real data coming directly from the API. Um, it doesn't break as often. So that's one, just like much more reliable. Second one is it's much easier to get people to, uh, you know, say yes to permissions from an API within the Apple ecosystem mm -hmm. with privacy in mind than to get to install a third-party VPN. That's something that is much easier to do in the onboarding. And the third aspect is what you mentioned is clearly, uh, you know, it makes our job <clears throat> a lot easier uh, to know that, you know, in the long run, this is Apple strategy and also likely be Google strategy to say, you know, we're not the best at doing this. We're going to help others like Opal um, do it and we can consistently prove that we're going to do it really well uh, so that we can uh, that we can build a, a category defining and, you know, uh, generational business in, in the next 10 years. I want to touch on one last thing about your entrepreneurial uh, journey or your like the, the sides of your, your personality, uh, which is product marketing at Google. Um, what has it brought you? What is it like to market product at Google and what do you think is applicable to your to your journey so far? Yeah, you know, I think it was, um, so 2007, smaller company. It was uh, definitely late stage startup by then, but, you know, I learned a ton. Um, on the product side, you know, A/B testing, uh, surveys, uh, statistical significance. I got a chance to work with amazing product people and, and statisticians and economists as well um, at the time. So it gave me a lot of just pra practical experience on a huge amounts of data to understand, um, you know, how to how to make decisions. 
And, um, and then, you know, on the marketing side, like people with really big ideas, uh, very talented people who, you know, end up in this program that I was a part of, you know, are now like PMs in, in tech and CMOs of Fortune 500 companies and all, all startup founders. So also just a great network of people uh, to tap into. I think it's, it was an interesting time to do that. Um, and also, I think people who were just generally at the time really genuinely uh, mission driven. And uh, I know it sounds crazy because Google is like this massive corporation, and uh, and and you know at the time like people really understood the values. Um, there was a very optimistic view of technology. Um, you know, organizing the world's information, make it universally accessible and useful. Sort of everybody knew that, and. Um, and I think that people were sort of driven by that and actually joined the company for, for those reasons. I also learned that you can actually like get together with people who are really passionate about a, a vision of the world and, um, and, and make it happen. And so I think that was, uh, that was very foundational, yeah, in my experience. Um, I, you know, I, I think that later I, 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 I had this sort of hint um, at the time of the downsides of that and, you know, the power of data that large companies could use um, but I would say that that consciousness really redeveloped later. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I would get nothing from that experience. I just think it's a, it, it's something that you, I, you know, look back to now and say, okay, like, you know, we weren't aware of this at the time. Um, but now it's obvious, right. And the world is often, often works in these ways where, you know, you look back and it's obvious and that when you're living through it, it's not uh, as much. And so is, is there some uh, special uh, specific artifact that you brought back? Uh, so that's the way you operate uh, the company right now, right? With a very mission-driven, vision-driven approach to, to it. Or I think that's what I, that's, that's probably like what I care about a lot and also, you know, make sure that um, the people in the team share this. Um, I think, yeah, I think it, I think it's important to, to 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 care a lot about the impact that you want in um, in in the world, or that you want your, your product or or your or your or your driven to have, you know your mission to have. You know, our mission is to help uh, help people focus better, help humans focus better each day. You know, and we have this mission, this notion of impact. Like, I'd like I want to help a billion people focus better each day, and that's that that's quite ambitious. Um, and uh, yeah, and our next challenge, right? I think we're doing well and we're still pretty niche um, and the business is going well, but you know, how do we translate that into a mass market product that can really s help millions of people and a billion people? That's going to be, uh, that's going to be the challenge in the next coming years. So for, for the people that don't really uh, operate like that, for the companies that don't really operate like that, could you could you maybe explain what it translates to? What, what's happening in a company like Opal yeah, when I, when you do that? The are, way are, are, are the working? Is it like you open many doors to go to to the to the vision? Like more energy, uh, more purpose. People like feel happier. You know what, what's what's happening there? I think you know I, I see the the Opal journey as uh, three phases. Um, we've just completed phase one, uh, which was about you know, proving we could build a product that helps people, uh, that people are willing to pay for our products because we're a subscription business. And that's very important. Proving we can acquire customers in a cost-efficient, profitable way um, and at scale. And so that took us, you know, to our first millions in ARR um, and with a high retention product that people use mostly every day and, and high impact. You know, phase two 
you know, is how do we expand our scale from, you know, today, actually right now we're at 100,000 daily actives, right? And we have a notion of activity, it's our own, but essentially every day we're helping 100,000 people focus better, right? Um, and and that's tiny in the in the in, in terms of, of the issue which is which concerns billions of people. So how do we actually like scale our impact? And that means concretely, it means that we're going to be less focused on uh, short-term conversion and more focused on activation and, and retention, including of free customers. Um, and that's a hard balance to reach because you can you know you can like convert people uh, right away. And focus on subscribers. That's that's a playbook that exists. And then you can create a free product and figure out how to monetize later. That's another playbook that exists. But I think you know, in between, it's it's, it's harder. Um, there's companies that do it really, really well. Uh, you know, Duolingo is, of course, a, a, a very successful business that has you know millions of people that use it for free, will never pay anything, and are very happy about it. And then is able to be a, a massively profitable business. And so that's. That's the, the switch that we're looking to make between phase one and phase two and optimize for impact. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's the main the main thing is figuring out like which metrics we want to move to have that impact uh, and have a clear view of that and then make sure everyone in the team is, is focused on these metrics. And I, I, could, I could get a sense of that earlier when you said the number of hours that were saved from watching your screen. I could tell that you really had this um, value-based metric, you know, like really for people's life, not just, you know, number of time the app was open or, or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's a tangible metric that people relate to and that, um, yeah, it gives us a good sense of impact. Um, so that's, that's something we one. try. It's a good one. Let's talk a little bit about art. We have a couple of minutes left. You yeah. have worked in the art industry. You, um, you know, are involved into the into the, the art world. Um, I'd love to hear a bit um, your thoughts about, you know, uh, the intersection of tech and art. Uh, wh why and how do you think one or the, the other could get some inspiration from the, from the other one? Um, and, uh, you know, what kind of art are you looking at these days maybe to get your inspiration? Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm glad to talk about it. I don't get to talk about it a lot. But yeah, it's something I, I, I love. You know, I, I came to art as an outsider, you know, my, my first business, uh, was, uh, was arts and collectibles related, but, you know, I think fundamentally like artists are, um, you know, people who see the world in a unique way, they sort of see beauty where others don't see anything. And they translate that into their work, uh, through painting a picture or whatever, whatever their practice is. Um, there are people also have like devotion to their work. So it's, really a practice you do every day. You know, there's this um, great quote by a, a, a photographer named uh, Chuck Close who says, you know, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us show up and just get to work. Um, so it's, you know, I think art has this, you know, people have an idealized version of it, but really it's, it's devotion. It's like every day you create your craft and, and you make it happen. And so artists are really inspiring in that way, especially as an entrepreneur, because I see a lot of traits between artists and entrepreneurship, right? I think entrepreneurs also see the world in a unique way. They see some things others don't. You know, they translate that into a product that others can use. Um, they also have devotion to their work. You know, I think, uh, sure, entrepreneurs and some entrepreneurs are, you know, very focused on outcomes like, you know, how much money or, 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 or 
uh, that you're going to make. But I think the, the true visionary founders and entrepreneurs, they're actually mostly focused on their practice and like they actually truly enjoy what they do and, uh, and they make a difference in that way. And so I see, you know, the relationship between artists and founders and entrepreneurs um, in that, in that, um, in that way. And so, yeah, you get a lot of inspiration from, uh, from artists, um, looking artists work, looking at artists work. Is there some, uh, okay, two questions for you. Is there some artists you want to, to mention that really inspire you recently? Let's start with this one. I have to say, I haven't spent that much enough time, I would say, looking at art recently. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a topic that I'm super interested in, which is, you know, with, with this, uh, with generative AI becoming super, you know, mass market and so high quality, um, I think it's, um, it's pushing the boundaries of art and, and challenging artists in that, you know, the same way that, uh, when photography came about, you know, artists had to think about like, okay, what is art? If you can simply snap a picture and make a beautiful representation of reality, we need to make something different, right? So we're going to make, you know, some, something more abstract, for example. Um, and so I think with Gen, with Gen AI, uh, it's, it's a big challenge to art and artists. And yeah, there's just, you know, for example, I saw a great show, um, by a less emerging, but sort of more established artist called Thomas Demands. um, originally German living, living in, a, in, in the U S he had a pair, a show in Paris. Um, he's a, he's an amazing artist that uh, basically challenges what is real. And, um, he essentially like makes these real life, uh, uh cardboard and paper, hyper-realistic, uh, scenes that just that he takes pictures of. And so what you're looking at is the picture of this kind of paper and cardboard representation of, for example, one of the famous ones, like the Oval Office, you know? And so when you first look at it, you think it's a picture of the Oval Office. And then you take a second look at it and you're like, actually, no, there's something wrong. The light, maybe I'm not sure, but it's very, it's as a strangeness that, that's hard to pinpoint, but it's super interesting because he asked the question of like, you know, what is real? Like, is a picture real? Is, is, you know, how, and so I think that's very, is very relevant today. Um, yeah, and also went to a, uh, a show uh, by a young uh, curator in Paris called Lena Crush. Um, and she, has a, she had a number of like 3D and AI generated like photorealistic portraits. Um, and it was, it was amazing to see that it was like very, very hard to see that they were not real. Um, it was really sort of this, you know, uh, uh, so realistic that you could, you could think it was like fashion photography, but no, it was actually fully fabricated. People don't exist. And, you know, you see that some of that, um, online, you know, on Twitter or whatever, uh, of people creating their own artwork, but artists are actually taking it to the next level and, and making something that's even more confusing, even more realistic. And, and so, yeah, I think it asked the question of like, you know, what is real. Uh, so I find that super interesting. That's a fantastic topic that actually ties really well with the, the, the purpose of, uh, of your company and, and like, you know, and screens and like what's real when you're in screens instead of being with your family and, and all this stuff. Right. And screen is real because it's real people. It's real work, whatever, but, uh, can be very fake at the same time. So I think that's a, that, that's a good wrap up, man. Um, my, my yeah. brother is an artist. And uh, when I started the start, you know, the, into the startup world, I got into lean startup like many people, 
And so there is this book I always wanted to write for him called The Lean Startup for Artists. Do, do <laughs> let's think, do it. Do you think it's a good idea? Yeah, you should, you should definitely do it. Uh, that's great. I can help. I want to help. So let me know. Let's I'm, do it. I'm writing another book right now, but maybe the next one. Okay. <laughs> awesome. uh, so, so in your opinion, there is similarities. You think like startups and artists are you know, solving problems. They can iterate, you know, whatever. There is, yeah. yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I, you know, I think you speak a different language, but fundamentally these are people who see the world in a different way, are creating something new and uh, are very similar. So I think, I think definitely there's, there's, there's exchanges to be made and learnings on both sides. Um, so I think it's excellent. It's an excellent idea. <laughs> I'll ping you when I start. All right, let's um, do it. Last question about the about the future. Is there any any exciting project goals at your horizon uh, for the future? Um, you know, how do you plan to continue making a, an impact? I mean, I guess you talk about the multiple yeah. phase plan of the company. Yeah, is it hard to look look forward right now? Yeah, you know, I think that uh, you know we're, we're going to simplify the experience a lot. What does a, an app look like that most people can use that just helps them? focus better that gives them some feedback on their focus and, and helps them improve um, day to day. And I think we haven't yet answered that question. And um, we'll see we'll see the we'll see Opal become, you know, get in the hands of a lot more people in the coming in the coming months and years. Um, we're also, you know, mostly hidden behind paywall right now and we want to make a lot more accessible for free and so that's quite exciting because we can get a lot more people uh, to experience uh, to experience the app that is exciting i can't can't wait to uh, catch up with you uh, on the podcast in like a year or two and and see where you're at cool <laughs> thanks man great talking to you likewise we're at the end thank you so much for coming um i'll reference what you discussed today uh if people want to follow up with you or just like you know Uh, stay updated. Where should they sh should they go? Yeah, I think Twitter is great. Um, I'm at uh, K Schlenker. Schlenker is my last name, and uh, yeah, Twitter is perfect. Awesome. I'll I'll share the link. Thank Bye. you so much, man. A good one. Thank you for listening to the June podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five star rating and subscribe. This episode is powered by June. For a better way to do product analytics, visit June.so.